Welcome. Thanks for joining us today. So glad you found us. If this is your first time, we want to give a special welcome to you and say thanks for checking us out. And we certainly hope it's not your last time. And would invite you to click on the digital connection card up here in the corner and let us know who you are. And maybe you have a prayer request that we could uh, pray with you. And if this is your spiritual home, we say welcome to you. And we're glad that you found time this weekend to join us. Hope you uh, fell back on your clock last night. Not literally on your clock, but at least got your time turned back. So here we are the first week in November and a couple things, we're getting close to Christmas. I wanna point out to you first that we are participating in Operation Christmas Child. Uh, it's an amazing program that's been around for many years through Samaritan's Purse and check out this video. When those lids come off those boxes, you have never seen such pure joy. This is amazing. As you can see, the children's faces, they are excited as they open up the gifts for the first time. What makes the gifts more than just gifts is the message that comes with the gift. This is the opportunity for a child to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. The mission of Operation Christmas Child never changes. Children are coming to Jesus, and children are taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Millions of children around the world are being impacted by these simple shoebox gifts. One box can touch not just a child, but the whole family. So we need to keep packing those boxes and pray for the children that God will use this in a very special way. So thank you for being a part of it. God bless you. So if you'd like to be part of that, there's a link here. We'll do the shopping for you. Uh, we have a couple weeks to gather the items and then we'll pack and share them with our friends across town at Freedom Ridge where they are a distribution point and they'll make sure the boxes get to Boone, North Carolina where well, they'll be sorted and where uh, children will eventually receive them in time for Christmas. So just an incredible time for us to be a part of that. And so we invite your investment and then I want to also remind you that this is the uh, International Day of Prayer for Persecuted Christians. And so we want to take some time today to be mindful of just uh, our brothers and sisters around the world, realizing that in our many freedoms, even though we're coming up on a free election, and I know it's fret with all sorts of controversy, right, uh, just because of just all the conversations around so many various things, and yet we want to be reminded that in the midst of all this, that God still is on the throne and that in the midst of our brokenness, He offers uh, restoration and hope. So we're in our series here called uh, Love God, Love Others. And as we think about today, specifically, I want to push our boundary out a little bit as we think about first our support of Operation Christmas Child and the opportunity we have there, but then even to be part of the Voice of the Martyrs and the awareness that they bring to our brothers and sisters in, around the world that are uh, being persecuted for their faith. And so as we think about loving God and loving others, it is that practical way where we need to think about things that are uncomfortable. So I have a story I want to share with you, but I also want to look at some scripture that will help focus our understanding because what I want us to see today is that even when we love God and love others, doesn't mean that our lives aren't going to be complicated. That uh, as followers of Jesus, especially in places around the world where Christians are being persecuted, we need to understand that as a follower of Jesus, 
that we can live our life uh, with the confidence that we will know his glory someday. That doesn't mean that we might not suffer uh, for the kingdom. So where I want to go today is I want to look at a story from the Old Testament from a small minor prophet, the book of Habakkuk, or Habakkuk is one of my Old Testament professors called it. Uh, he, he was a prophet, and he, uh, it was when the kingdoms were divided, and so a lot of messiness in the, uh, in the nation of Israel's story. And he was in the southern kingdom of, uh, that was called Judah, and Judah was in the midst of facing uh, an imminent invasion by the Chaldeans, or uh, you might know them as the Babylonians, and they were not good people. And, and so Habakkuk, as he leaned into this, he understood the wickedness of his own people, and he saw it growing in his culture, and it broke his heart. And yet at the same time, he saw this wickedness of his own people. He also wrestled with the reality that God was going to use the wickedness of the uh, invaders, the Babylonians, to bring about correction, to bring about restoration. And in that, the prophet, like you would expect, had some questions, just really wondering what was going on. So as we find the prophet here in the first uh, four verses of chapter 1, he begins to ask God some simple questions. So in the first four verses, he asks God about, isn't there a way that your forbearance uh, can come towards uh, the wickedness of Judah? And then a little bit later in chapter 1, he asks a second question, in light of God's answers to the first question, where he basically lays out the fact that he really is just not quite sure what to do with this fact that God is going to use the Babylonians, uh, who are even more wicked than his own townspeople, to bring about judgment. Uh, And so finally, the prophet ends up the book of of Habakkuk with a a prayer, uh, a prayer that's almost one set to music where in all of this he confesses his confidence in God and his willingness to be a servant to the will of God in the face of certain catastrophe. And what's interesting nestled in these questions in this short Old Testament book are three principles of hope that any of us can have when we think about our world being upside down and in chaos, when it looks as though wicked people are flourishing and something that we can have some confidence in with certainty for today. But to help set that story up, I want you to meet a woman by the name of Rebecca. She is a follower of Jesus living in Nigeria, who I think will give us an example, who when encountered uh, with amazing opposition, uh, that her faith was tested, where people hated her, And I think what we see from that and where the encouragement we take from that is the faithfulness of Jesus. And so in Rebecca's story, we see a modern-day situation that was very similar to this Old Testament story from Habakkuk. And I hope what it will do is point our hearts towards a, a proper response for ourselves as we think about loving God and loving others as we are followers of Jesus when things around us don't seem to be working out very well. My name is Rebecca. I live in the north of Nigeria. One evening I was out with my daughter and on our way home we saw smoke rising above our village. We were under attack. 
There was nothing we could do to defend ourselves. My husband and I were married in that village. My wedding day, it was the happiest day of my life. Some members of our church gave us a wedding gift. It was a Bible. We read it together, every day. Our children were old enough, we read it to them and their friends. Let the little children come to me. Let the little children come to me. And do not forbid them. And do not forbid them. For such is the kingdom of heaven. Church of Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. Verse 14. Verse 14. On the day our village burnt to the ground, my husband and my son were killed in the attack. I was devastated. I mourned for many months. Some of us were able to return to our village to reclaim anything that was left. Genesis and Revelation were burnt, but the rest was mostly intact. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like a wild flower. The grass withers, and the flower falls off but the word of the Lord endures forever.
I still use this Bible. It reminds me of God's faithfulness. Naked I came from my mother's womb, but naked I shall return there. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord is a husband to all widows. I look to him for every need. This is what I am still holding on to. So a couple thoughts. Uh, first, the story of Rebecca is incredibly moving. And, and so what I want to offer is this kingdom perspective that I think we need to have. And the first point is this, is that when calamity comes, we need to see with victory. We need to see God's purposes being fulfilled. In Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, he says, But the righteous shall live by his faith. You see, what that means is that those of us who follow Jesus— we will experience victory in life as we walk in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, even during difficult seasons. Now he says, but, starts out, which means he's changing his view here for a moment. He wants us to pay attention. Everything up to this point, he wants to sort of now say, he wants us to see that there's a difference between how we live our faith and how uh, we live according to the pursuits of the world. So he's offering a pause, if you will, in his uh, journey. And then he says the righteous. And I want to be clear about that, that those that are just and righteous, it's about their attitude and their conduct and their character towards who God is. That righteousness is not something that we attain on our own. That righteousness is something that Christ attained for us. That it's through his sacrifice and death and burial and resurrection that brings about the fact that we can stand righteous before the throne of God. Because we know in our own stories, we're all broken. We know that there's nothing that we can offer. That, uh, in fact, the scriptures tell us in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, he says, All of us has become like something unclean, and all our righteous acts are like a filthy cloth. And then Paul reminds us in chapter 3 of Romans, he says, The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, that it is something that is given to us. And that for us as Christ followers, that's what we pursue. We are told, you remember out of the Sermon on the Mount, that we're to pursue and thirst after righteousness. And then we also have to be reminded that there are going to be times when we will be persecuted for the sake of righteousness. And yet in the midst of that, we also need to be reminded that we will not be left alone, that we will not be forsaken. In fact, again, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see, this idea of being persecuted, Paul again points out to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where he says, Persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, 
always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. And again, our writer Habakkuk here is wanting us to be reminded that it's we shall live by faith, he says. And that idea of living by faith, that we shall live, is got to be reminded the Babylonians, they're coming, and they're going to bring judgment, and they're going to bring destruction. But he wants us to know that in the face of all this, the righteous will live, and they will bear testimony to who God is. He goes on to say also that they live by his faith. And, and this is something, too, that we need to see, is that it's the faith of Christians that is not simply a theory or a philosophy, but it really is how do we live our life. So again, the story of Rebecca and how her family leaned into those difficult moments. So when we live by faith, we live by it in good and bad. When we live by faith, we experience God's blessing. And we're also going to endorse hardship. And then we also live by faith at any cost. So we see, when we look at this kingdom perspective, that there is this idea of faith, and there's also this idea of hope. Habakkuk says in chapter 2, verse 14, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So you need to be reminded that the earth belongs to the Lord. There are these promises that God says he will be. Uh, This is a promise that's complete, that things will be filled, as God does not make false promises. And we also need to see that the promise is comprehensive. He says, as the waters cover the sea, it gives us a mental image, if you will, of how big and how large God's redemptive work is. And then he also says, with the knowledge of. I mean, this idea of knowledge is a strong word. This idea of knowledge is the word yada. And this is more than just simple information, because you know what? Our world is filled with all sorts of information about God. I mean, all you have to do is type God into any search engine, like Google, and you will have more than uh, maybe three and a half trillion results, right? But information about God is not knowing God. And it's interesting that in the Hebrew mind, knowledge is the idea of understanding. It's a relational kind of thing. To know God is to be in right relationship with God. And then the writer went on to say the glory of God. Well, what is the glory? Well, that's another amazing word. It's the word kabod. Uh, And it's a technical term for God's manifest presence. That it often is the word we use as his Shekinah glory. It's what we see in Exodus. And it also is that consuming fire that appears also in Exodus in chapter 24. And what this glory is all about, it's about God's honor and his position and power. And so what happens with this glory of God is what it does for us is it reveals God's character it's about God revealing himself, about his goodness that he sets, that sets him above anything else. In fact, here out of Exodus chapter 33, Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. 
For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name, Moses said. Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. It's an incredible story out of the Old Testament of God allowing Moses to see his presence. And then out of Psalm 100, we're reminded, For the Lord is good, and his loving kindness is everlasting, and his faithfulness to all generations. So again, our kingdom perspective, we start out with victory, and then we have this idea of hope, as we've heard. And then we're reminded that when calamity comes, it can bring joy. Now, that seems amazing, but uh, let's see why. Again, Habakkuk says to us, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. Again, jumping up to verses 17 and 18, where he says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit on the, be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. That this is the result of the devastation that's caused by this evading army from the Babylonians, the Chaldeans. And what does it do? It causes all sorts of suffering to everyone, to all of Judah. And it's true. It touches all of, of Judean life, every aspect. The fig, which is a primary uh, staple in food. It's also a statement of uh, a symbol of wealth and prosperity, the fruit of the vine, which is the wine for, that we have for feasts and festivals and celebrations. It's also a, a symbol of joy. Olive oil, uh, which was pressed three times because it was used for anointing in the temple, for lamps to light and for medicinal purposes, as well as a symbol of God's uh, covenant blessing. And then he says the fields yield no food, and like grain for bread, and it was considered to be a gift from God, even the story earlier about manna in the wilderness. And then he says the flock will be cut off from the fold, which meant that the animals were going to be scattered to the wild, and that future herds would be vulnerable to predators and thieves. So it's a mess, and yet the word yet shows up here which means we're going to go in a different direction. And so what happens here is Habakkuk moves from describing devastation to then a declaration of joy and from abject desolation to absolute jubilation. You see, uh, for many of us, when we, we react to uh, calamity, it's, it's, it brings about dejection or depression. And the reaction that we can only find in our faith is to have absolute joy. No matter what we face, no matter what the calamity is, we face as followers of Jesus. Again, how Rebecca 
leaned into the realities of what happened to her family. And the prophet as well says, I will rejoice. Here in these verses is this declaration in the prophet's voice. It's the prophet's choice, if you will, that even in the face of coming judgment, that he is going to find joy. Now, this is not a mind over matter kind of thing. I'm not just talking about having the right mind. What it really is, it's about God working in the mind and the heart of his people to give Habakkuk especially the capacity to rejoice in the midst of messiness. That is a gift from God. Again, the prophet says, I will take joy. Well, I want us to see that joy is what we would say the flag that uh, one pastor says is flown from the citadel of the heart when the king is in residence. Love that. Uh, The joy is the fruit of a right relationship with God, regardless of where we find ourselves, of whatever we're facing. And that unlike pleasure or enjoyment, joy is not something that we create by our own efforts. In fact, one of the scriptures we lean into, the statement is that uh, God, the Lord, is my strength. The idea that the joy of the Lord is my strength. So I guess I just want to ask the question is, how is the prophet able to choose to rejoice and fly this flag of joy in his life? Well, it has to do with the fact that his life is anchored in God. He's anchored in the Lord, who he knows is his strength. And also that God did not transfer some type of super spiritual strength to Habakkuk, that actually God himself became Habakkuk's strength. There's all sorts of other scriptures we can lean into. Paul says to his protege Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Or to his letter to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16, he says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Holy Spirit in your inner being. Now I want you to just picture in your mind as I close uh, the joy that we get uh, to, to worship together and the freedoms that we exercise each day as we come and go and then as we gather in our houses of worship on Sunday or even here online. But picture in your mind worshipers standing shoulder to shoulder uh, as musicians sing and play joyfully from the stage. In fact, the building is so full that even the balcony is crowded, and people are pushed in around the doors and the windows as they lean in to join worship. The amazing thing about this is this is a worship experience that I'm describing isn't here in America. It's taking place in a Muslim-majority country, Algeria, where religions other than Islam face tight government restrictions. And as this worship service goes on, the restrictions haven't hindered the people that live there. It's interesting that within the last 30 years, the Berber people have reclaimed their heritage as the original inhabitants of that particular area, where they've rejected the language and the culture and the religion that was imposed on them by Arab Islamic invaders beginning in the 7th century. And having rejected Islam, these Berber Christians are now embracing Christianity. Both registered and unregistered Christian churches exist, and they're growing exponentially in that whole area. Some are just a handful of believers in a living room, and others are meeting in newly constructed church buildings with complete church staff. 
Some of the churches, and this is through our partnership with Voice of the Martyrs, they have even sent missionaries from their own congregations to share Jesus Christ with Algeria's Arab population. So it's interesting, the very people who have oppressed Berber Christians, they've sent missionaries to to help them see the hope of the gospel. So churches are allowed to meet openly, but not without risk. Uh, Outspoken Christians are sometimes beaten by Muslims in the community, and vandals throw rocks during church services and deface church buildings. People who have become Christians are often rejected by their families, and to be honest, they can't even find work to support themselves. But the church continues to grow as the love of Christ wins the hearts of those in Algeria. So this prayer of Habakkuk, may it be our prayer for our brothers and sisters who are in the persecuted world. But even as we think about loving God and loving others, may we have this same attitude as Habakkuk of old, where he says, even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. May God bless us as we think about the world around us, not just here in America, but as we think of our brothers and sisters in places of danger and harm. May we have the same attitude as they. And we pray it all in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.